welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 426. I've gone on a lot of Royal Caribbean cruises, but what is it like to go on a cruise with unvaccinated kids? That's an area of cruising that I haven't really touched lately. So this week, we're talking all about that up next. Over the last few months, I've been on a number of Royal Caribbean cruises, having gone on test cruises and revenue cruises and even new ships, but I've left my kids at home and they haven't gone with me on these cruises. And the experience is definitely different if you're cruising with everybody who's fully vaccinated in your party compared to if you have unvaccinated people on board. And it got me thinking, gee, what is it like now? Now, to be fair, I did bring my kids on board a cruise back in June when Royal Caribbean first restarted cruises in North America with Adventure of the Seas. My kids joined me on a back-to-back cruise on Adventure that you've heard about in the podcast before. And that was a lot of fun, but that was before the Delta variant and before a lot of other protocol changes went into effect. So I really was starting to think about, well, how much different is the experience to take kids on a cruise, unvaccinated kids, that is, compared to when you go with just vaccinated adults on board? And this week, I wanted to share my thoughts on this because I think this is something that a lot of families are kind of thinking about now. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Delta variant kind of struck right as school was restarting, certainly here in Florida, school restarts in August, and we basically had no opportunity to go on more cruises. We did some family stuff over the summer. As you may recall, I went on a quick three-night cruise on Freedom of the Seas, which was the first cruise ship to restart from North America. There was maybe a test cruise thrown in there, but really, my kids didn't have the opportunity to go on a cruise yet. So that kind of made the decision not to bring them, not intentional, just simply a product of the schedule. It's just they're in school. We're not going to take them out the first couple of weeks of school, so it didn't make any sense. Fast forward, we have a three-day weekend coming up, and I said to my wife, I said, let's book a cruise. I didn't even think about this as like, you know, the motivation, like I need to see what it's like to take kids on board. It was just the natural fit for our family. We love to go on cruises. There was a three-night cruise, Mariner of the Seas, departing Port Canaveral, which is an hour-long drive from our home. We said, all right, this is perfect. We're going to go on this particular cruise with the kids. Great. And as we started getting closer and some of these protocols started changing, it became more and more apparent this would be a different type of cruise experience overall. And so I want to talk about what that's like and what really stood out to me. Now, first of all, the pre-cruise testing is very similar to what adults have to do. If you remember in June, the rules were completely different, but here everybody has to get a negative COVID test. Now, luckily for us, this became a whole lot easier. Initially, when we booked the cruise, kids had to get only a PCR test done and they had to get within three days. If you remember that rule, yeah, the CDC walked that rule back and now you can get either a PCR or an antigen. And I say why this is easier because getting an antigen test, the results come back in like an hour as opposed to a PCR test, which can take up to two or three days. So a little less risk involved. So we got the kids their negative test at CVS. Kids cannot get a test done on the same day of your cruise and they can't do the at-home test. Those are the two restrictions on them. So I did what I always do when it came to trying to get a COVID test for somebody going on a cruise in in my family. 13 days before I want the test, I go to CVS's website, booked an appointment and was able to get one uh, actually right after school. It was like four o'clock. So it was like perfect timing. Got it for both of our kids. Went to CVS, got the test done in and out in 15 minutes. Results back in about an hour. Couldn't be easier. So if you are looking to get a test done, whether you have unvaccinated kids or you're just for yourself, at CVS, if you book your test exactly 13 days in advance of the day you want to get your test, I have regularly found this never to be a problem to get an appointment. Now, granted, in Orlando, I have to maybe drive about 30 minutes to go to a particular location. There are many CVS locations in and around Orlando, 
But the testing site might not be the one that's right down the street for me. But again, here where I live, driving 30 minutes to get anywhere is pretty much the norm. So I'm kind of used to it. But I can understand that if I was, you know, maybe my parents living back in Connecticut, we, there was a CVS in my hometown. It might be a little weird if I had to drive, you know, and down the highway to like the couple towns over, I guess. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not too bad. And the reason, by the way, I also pick CVS is because it is complimentary. It's free to get your test done at CVS. If you have health insurance, it's covered by that. Otherwise, the federal government picks it up. So uh, that's a nice thing about it. There's other places to get tests done. That's a topic for another day. Actually, we've done some blog posts about it as well. But anyway, I just wanted to share how we did that. So the pre-cruise testing was pretty easy. Uh, it was I've done the pre-cruise test with the CVS a number of times along with my wife. So this was old hat, easy peasy, no problems at all. With a little bit of pre-planning, it's not that difficult. Now, the biggest change we ran into off the bat was at check-in. And this one was really a stumbling block. So in addition to the pre-cruise test that you have to get done before your cruise, like everybody, kids who are unvaccinated need to get an additional test at the terminal. So before the cruise, you're going to get an email from Royal Caribbean to schedule a test for them to be completed. Test is complimentary, which is nice. But basically, when you go to the terminal for check-in, there's an additional step required. You have to take your kids to go to test done in the, actually, it's done in the luggage area, Port Canaveral, and then you have to wait for the test. The problem with this is, number one, uh, the whole process takes about 40 minutes. So for, for just the test, you get the test done and then you have to wait about 40 minutes for the results. And they say it's about 40, 45 minutes. And for one of the tests that came back, it was exactly like 40 minutes on the dot. I got the email. Here's your results. Good to go. Unfortunately, our second kid, the test result was invalid, which basically just means they have to rerun the test. But unfortunately, they don't just do it immediately. Anyway, we ended up waiting about 90 minutes in total for both tests to finally come back. And it was just boring. It was arduous. It was just annoying sitting there in a terminal with a bunch of other families, some kids screaming, some kids crying, some kids just talking, somebody not doing anything, but it was just boring sitting around on an vacation day. The last thing you want to do is just sit around instead of getting on the cruise ship. So the invalid test is not obviously what you can expect. And if it had, if it had come back exactly at 40 minutes, like the first test, if both tests came back, you know, as scheduled, I think it wouldn't have been as big of a deal, but even at 40 minutes, it was 40 minutes of wasted time. And so, you know, there's a couple of takeaways. Number one, it stinks, but what are you going to do about it? There's no choice about that. It's just something you should be prepared for. Uh, number two, also bring maybe perhaps a uh, entertainment device or like, you know, something for the kids to do. So a book to read, uh, just sitting there for 40 minutes, staring at the ceiling is not really fun for anybody. And for kids, as you know, with their attention spans, <laughs> it, it definitely helps. There's something to do. But in addition, it really enlightened me to the idea of this notion of a lot of other adults who were like, why can't Royal Caribbean do the testing at the terminal? I don't want to have to try to get a test at CVS or wherever. I want to just get it done at the terminal and be done with it. Why can't the cruise lines do it? And I'm here to tell you, regardless of why or why not the cruise lines are going to do it, you don't want to get it done at the terminal. It stinks. It's boring. I would much rather take time out of my schedule when it's convenient for me to get the test done. And that way I get on the cruise ship much faster. And having done that exact scenario for all my other cruises, really this particular late summer and fall, where I've done my test at CVS or done the at-home test and literally been able to keep walking through the entire process and probably curbside to onboard in about 10 or 15 minutes, this was an eye-opening, I don't want to do this again scenario. Again, I would still go cruise with my kids and knowing that this is what's necessary, but for adults who are advocating that, oh, I wish Royal Caribbean would do the test at the terminal, I'm sorry you don't want to do this. Trust me, it's better to go on your own time and waste time when you're not on a cruise rather than precious time on our vacation day. That's my feelings on it. Obviously, a little bit different because we had 90-minute wait instead of maybe the 40-minute we should have had, but it was still annoying. So 
That was probably the biggest stumbling block we encountered. You know, once on board the ship, the experience is pretty much the same for adults and kids. You know, everyone's wearing a mask on board. I think the biggest area that was an issue maybe might have been the fact that there are certain areas of the ship that are not available to kids who are unvaccinated. That's fine. My kids don't want to hang out in the schooner bar or the casino. Even if even if they could, they could find it extremely boring. You know, so that was kind of a not not much of an issue. But the bigger issue actually was the fact that you know, they can't walk through these areas. And on Mariner of the Seas, you essentially can't take unvaccinated kids through deck four because they can't walk through the casino or the schooner bar. Uh, you can walk through the promenade, which is up on deck five, which is fine. We did see a couple families who were kind of stopped in their tracks and had to go back up to deck five to do that. Uh, and the other biggest issue was they couldn't go to Izumi, which we absolutely love because they have hibachi on Mariner. This is my oldest daughter really loves hibachi. So we weren't able to do it this time. It's unfortunate. I understand the, the issue here is because there's no way to social distance at an hibachi table because you're sitting with other guests. That's the issue there. But we made the most of it and ended up going to Jamie's Italian and Chop's Grill. And that was great. Actually, the main dining room as well. So we had no issues there at all with the masks because, quite frankly, it's the same rules for the kids and adults now. Once you're off the ship on Perfect Day Coco Key, if you're up outside, you don't need to wear your mask. So no real problem there at all. Next up is Adventure Ocean, and this was pretty much similar to what we experienced in June um, when we were on Adventure of the Seas, that is. Adventure Ocean operates on a limited capacity, and each family is only allowed to sign up for a certain amount of sessions on the first day of the cruise. On our three-night sailing, Voyagers, for my oldest daughter, who's nine between 9 and 11 years old, were limited to one session sign up, and Explorers, for ages 6 to 8, were able to register for two sessions in advance. That was on day one. They told us to come back. The next day to register for more sessions. But actually, when I picked my kids up that evening after the first session, they I asked about that. And they're like, no, we can sign you up right now. And I was able to sign for all the sessions I wanted. On Adventure of the Season June, that was more problematic because there was much more demand for Adventure Ocean. And so actually in, a, in one or two times, we actually ended up going to that evening without a reservation. And the kids had to go a little bit later when other kids had left uh, initially. But it really wasn't a big deal. My advice, if you're doing Adventure Ocean on board, number one, register on the first day. Number two, sign up for the kids for as many sessions as you can in advance. And then make sure you go there whenever you can for the next opportunity to sign up for more sessions because it's just the easiest way to go about it. But this isn't really a change. And I suspect, I maybe hope <laughs> perhaps, that as Royal Caribbean starts increasing capacity, that they will be able to uh, you know, increase the capacity of Adventure Ocean likewise, because obviously that's a major component for the kids. You know, my, like I said earlier, mom, my kids don't mind missing out on, you know, hanging out on the schooner bar with dad or, you know, walking through the casino. Uh, Adventure Ocean is a major part of the cruise experience for my kids. I mean, it is just a hub of what they do in the evening and it's fun for them. It's great for us because we have to drop them off. And so it's very much win-win for everybody involved. So not having access to Adventure Ocean is a would be a problem for us. Luckily, that wasn't the case in this. But depending on your sailing, there may or may not be more demand for it. Something to keep in mind, certainly. Now, shore excursions is what I wanted to talk about next. And again, on this sailing, not a big deal. This is a three-night sailing going to Nassau and Coco Key. At Coco Key, there's no restrictions on what you can do with kids in terms of getting off the ship. It's just it's like pre-COVID over there. So no worries at all. But if you're going to want to do something in a port like Nassau, Royal Caribbean requires that anybody who is getting off the ship who's unvaccinated, that their party be uh, relegated to only Royal Caribbean shore excursions. So that means you can only book a shore excursion through Royal Caribbean. You can't even get off the ship without a shore excursion through Royal Caribbean if you're taking your unvaccinated kids with you. If you say, okay, well, my kids are going to stay on board the ship. They're going to go to Adventure Ocean. They're going to sit in the room, whatever, or they're going to sit with family members who are staying on board. Then that's fine. If everybody else getting off the ship is vaccinated, you can do whatever you want. 
Now, again, in Nassau, that wasn't a problem. We didn't really care. Like, we looked at the excursions. Nothing really jumped out at us. And we said, you know what? We don't need to do anything here. So we're just going to, you know, we're going to just stay on board the ship. But I was looking forward already to one of our cruises coming up in December on Navigator of the Seas. And on one particular port, in Puerto Vallarta, there are only three shore excursions in total to choose from. Like, that's it. There's only three tours, and two of them you have to be at least 12 years old in order to go on it. So that leaves us one tour that our whole family could do. That's a problem. In Nassau, not so much. So depending on what your preferences are, depending on how old your kids are, and depending on your itinerary, the shore excursion rule may or may not be an issue for you. Number one, you can always look up the shore excursions you know, once you book the cruise and get a sense of it. Number two, don't forget you can leave your kids in Adventure Ocean. We do this all the time pre-COVID anyway, but this would be an option for you. Uh, number three, maybe bring bring a family member to come on. Like, hey, do you want a free cruise? Uh, the catch? Well, there's one catch. You got to stay with my kids on board the ship. You know, you might be able to finagle something in that regard. Um, but on this particular sailing, having that shore excursion rule did not impact us, but as we look forward to some of the cruises later on, especially even just the seven night cruise, we have another one on harmony of the seas over Thanksgiving. That's another, a possible opportunity where this might be more of an issue. So something to keep in mind as you kind of look forward there, but really the bottom line is, you know, cruising with my unvaccinated kids was still plenty of fun. And there were just a few extra hurdles involved. I think the embarkation day test was the biggest one. And you know, like so many things, I've, I've heard so many stories of people who have a problem on embarkation, not, not just COVID testing, just like in general, you know, uh, airline delays, whatever, right? It, it's one of these things that like you, it really steams you up that day and then you, it's quickly forgotten as time goes forward because it's just, it's just a, it's a moment in time kind of situation right there. And so while that wasn't great or, you know, the, the invalid test, something I have no control over. You know, it ended up not being the biggest deal in the world. We were still on board the cruise, still had plenty of time to go do everything we wanted to do on board on embarkation day. We just missed out on an extra 45 to 60 minutes, depending on your perspective of things we could have done on board, which would have been nice on a three night cruise that adds up, but you know, not the end of the world. Right. And again, I think the shore excursion limitation and the adventure ocean limited capacity have the potential to be problematic, but it really depends on your cruise and your situation. So these are issues to be aware of, but not like game stoppers. Like you need to really rethink your cruise. Overall, I was very pleased with what happened there. And I've talked to a lot of uh, parents and uh, family members about this particular scenario who are a little leery of taking their kids on a cruise. And I said, at the end of the day, my kids are getting multiple COVID tests. They're on board a cruise ship in which everybody else has to be fully vaccinated to go on the cruise. And in school, we're getting very little protocols at all, getting multiple calls a week about people who tested positive for COVID-19. So in my mind, it is way safer for my kids to go on a cruise ship than it is to go at to school. Now, that's a bit of a sensationalist thing for me to say, more overgeneralization, but you get what I'm going with this. Like, I feel more comfortable with the protocols that Royal Caribbean has in place. And I do certainly take my kids other places, whether it's a restaurant or a theme park at home, because there are no protocols there. They're not regulated by the CDC. And these, you know, again, I just felt a greater level of comfort with what Royal Caribbean is doing. Because anytime I thought about it, I was like, wait a minute, everyone on here has been tested. Everyone on, and the kids have been tested twice. And you got the vaccine requirement. So in a world in which everyone's a little leery, still a little gun shy about somebody who coughs or sneezes, being on a cruise ship, I felt a lot less 
worried about that particular scenario when it did occur because I remember it. Okay, well, everyone here pretty much has you know done what they needed to do to prove that, and that as as a as a parent made me feel a whole lot better. I think the regulations and the restrictions that Royal Caribbean has for unvaccinated kids is somewhat annoying or even problematic depending depending on your scenario. Not the end of the world, and I would greatly take my kids on board another cruise in a heartbeat that wouldn't be an issue at all for me i think overall we had a great time overall it still felt like a cruise and overall any of the restrictions we faced for the kids were fleeting and easily overcome by another scenario or two maybe i'll change my tune or have a different thought when we actually go on a longer sailing later this year and i'll be sure to share this on the podcast but for right now i really thought it went very smoothly very easy and like i said i'd easily take my kids on board another cruise if i had the chance It's listener email time. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent me about Royal Caribbean and answer as many questions as I can about that. If you want to send me your emails, you can do so by sending to Matt at Royal Caribbean blog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T at Royal Caribbean blog.com. Our first email is from Joe Crawl. Where it's, hey, Matt, love the podcast, love the YouTube channel, and love the blog. My first question is, my wife and I are booked on Harmony of the Seas for the first U.S. sailing November 14th. Do you know if the CDC will have them complete another test cruise when they start from the U.S. as it's been cruising Europe prior to the sailing? Good question, Joe. So the answer to your question is kind of it depends because as of right now, before Harmony of the Seas would arrive in the U.S., the conditional sale order by the CDC is set to expire. So if that were to actually occur, Joe, then no, Harmony wouldn't have to do a test cruise because the test cruises are part of the conditional sale order. But, but I fully expect the conditional sale order to be extended. I just don't see the CDC releasing that. I think there's still a pandemic going on. There is still a lot of rationale that the CDC sees. As we've seen over the last, you know, almost two years, the CDC has done nothing but err on the side of caution, to put it mildly. I mean, they clearly take a very aggressive look at what cruise ships are doing, and it's an unfair look in a lot of cases. So I I just don't see them relinquishing that kind of control on it. I could be wrong on that, and a lot can change between now and the end of October. I think Joe... Honest, again, this is just my opinion on this. I think, quite frankly, they'll wait till the last minute to make a decision on it. But if they were to extend the, the conditional sale order, then yes, Harmony would have to do a, a test cruise. Uh, my second question is around new Diamond member drinks program. Do you know if the four drinks per day resets at midnight ship time? So let's say I start my evening at 10 p.m. and drink my four drinks. At 12.01, will I be able to access four more? Or do you have to wait till like 3 a.m. or whenever bars close for the evening? Appreciate the insight. Keep the good work. It's a great question, Joe. I assume it's midnight. I don't think Royal Caribbean is quite that sophisticated that they've got some like, you know, 6 a.m. rule or something. I assume it's midnight. I haven't tried it out myself, Joe. I don't know for a fact that is the case, but uh, I would expect that, yeah, once you get to 12.01, you'd be able to access four new drinks for the day. So I, I, that's my guess, but don't know that for a fact. But anyway, thank you, Joe, for the email. I do appreciate it. Our next email is from Matt Kaisers of Toronto, Canada. Hi, Matt, been enjoying your blog, videos, and podcasts. Keep up with the great work. I've written you before. I have a question about cruise eating. I know this one is one of your favorite topics. You seem to invest a lot in specialty dining by purchasing dining packages with most of your cruises. At least it seems that way when I read your blogs. This is just a curiosity, but do you ultimately enjoy specialty dining more than traditional and complimentary dining on board? I admit I enjoy going to a specialty restaurant for a special treat, maybe once or maybe once on a week's vacation, just for a change of flavor and ambiance, but often gravitate towards the main dining room where half the menu changes regularly every night, and I get to enjoy the amazing service some of the wait staff 
every night at my table. I also really enjoy the formal night where the steak and lobster gets broken out for no extra cost. I was just interested to hear your perspective on specialty dining versus complimentary when it comes to dinner. I know it's a better deal if you buy the dining package for multiple restaurants over single restaurant visits, but I'm not sure if I necessarily need to pay the extra investment for food. I'm just curious if you prefer specialty dining that much more, or do you sometimes opt for just complimentary dining on your vacations? You spend a lot more time than I do cruising, so I was interested in your perspective, as I know you've tried all the dining options many, many times. Matt, this is a great question, and I know exactly how you're going with this. So there's a couple factors involved, and this is definitely me being me in a couple of scenarios. Number one, I do cruise a lot, and because I write for Royal Caribbean blog, you know, obviously for you guys, I cover this stuff, Especially restaurants always have a greater sense of interest from a reader, podcaster, YouTuber perspective. It's different. It's unique. It stands out more. It gets more attention. And thus, people want to know about it. You know, what is the new Giovanni Italian kitchen like? What is the Zumi like? What does this offer you? And the menus change there far more often than they do in the main dining room. So that's one aspect of it. Number two, I freely admit it also, uh, my wife is a picky eater. She'd be the first one to tell you that. She doesn't love everything that's on the main dining room menu. And if you're a picky eater, you can find... Sometimes you can, I guess you can make the argument that there's more to find on the specialty restaurant menus. That That's another factor as well. And number three, you touched upon it, Matt, but it's, I think you kind of overlooked it. The dining package prices, especially if you get a really good price on it, becomes very minuscule when you consider how little you're paying for these restaurants. Paying the cover charge back before dining packages existed, I would have not dined at nearly as many specialty restaurants. There's no way that I think paying $50 for one person to eat at Chops is worth it. I just, I don't. But that being said, with the dining packages, we were paying like maybe $20 a day for a di- for for the dining package. And that includes, by the way, lunch on sea days. And, you know, like to me, that's a slam dunk deal and hard to pass up. Um, there's been many situations in which we've said, you know, do we want to do the three night package or the ultimate dining package? And then depending on the price again, you look at the ultimate dining package and the price is like negligibly more to do that. It just becomes like, that's the logic we go down and say, well, it's like 20 something dollars a day for the ultimate dining package, you know, compared to where like, a, again, a meal at Chops or Zoomies and around you 40, 50 bucks person. It, it, it's almost like counterintuitive not to dine there. And we love the food a lot. I mean, it's really good food as well. Nothing against the main dining room. I love the main dining room, especially. Uh, for dinner because I like the pomp and circumstance of it. I like having the same wait staff. To me, going to the main dining room always evokes this emotion of my first cruise experiences when we really fell in love with cruising. And that was largely because of the main dining room and having the same wait staff and getting to know our waiters. And I love it. You know, my wife, not so much. She prefers especially dining. My kids go back and forth. Depends on what's on the menu, quite frankly. But for me, the reason why I gravitate, again, more towards specialty dining tends to be because, number one, I am covering it for, you know, royalcarbonblog.com and the main dining room isn't nearly as intriguing as specialty dining, but also number two, and I think more, more important than that, the cost of the ultimate dining package is still a bargain of a price. If you can get it again in that 20 something dollar a day range, it just, it, it, it's hard to overlook that. That's all. But that being all that being said, Matt, there's absolutely nothing wrong with complimentary dining and given the opportunity, I'd gladly eat the main dining room every day for seven night cruise or longer because I like it. I think it is fun and I, I can always find something there, but I'm also more of an adventurous eater than my wife is. So that's kind of part of the issue there. So hopefully that answers your question there. Next email, we have a question from Chris. We're going on a waste of the seasons of our kids' first cruise ages five and seven. Should we eat all our dinners in the main dining room or try Chops and Giovanni's? I'd do both. Uh, I would actually kind of piggybacking on the last question, Chris. I would say you should probably do mostly the main dining room 
and then add in a meal or two at Chopster Giovanni's. Maybe just buy the three-night dining package. So that way, four nights you're in the dining room, three nights you're doing dining package, especially restaurants. And that's a really good deal for you. By the way, don't buy dining packages for your kids. If your kids are under 12, they just get charged a flat fee of 10 bucks a kid. And it's gonna be a better deal than the dining package anyway. So that's what I would do if I were you. So thanks for the email, Chris. Uh -huh. Next up, we have an email from Tyler. Writes, Hi, Matt. Hope you're having an awesome Tuesday. We're selling on Odyssey of the Seas coming up in October. And after some back and forth, we've decided to go ahead and take the kids with us. I have two questions based on your experience on Odyssey a few weeks ago. For evening dining, currently main dining room is only open for main seating times when you have unvaccinated people in your group. What other options did you see that were open to be good for kids at night, excluding specialty restaurants? I'd love to go to the Windjammer, but as of right now, I don't think that is open. I can't find a list of what is open for dinner. Tyler, good question. Number one, uh, check out the cruise compass that we have at royalcreamblog.com. We have an archive of them, of, of of restaurants and times. You'll be able to see that. If you So if you're skipping main dining, and we're going to assume the Windjammer isn't open for you, Playmakers is probably your next best bet uh, for for dining. That'd be your. I, that's instantly what I thought of Tyler. That's especially dining though. You wanted complimentary. I don't believe El Loco Fresh is open for you. Room service. That'd be what I would do. I mean, order your kids room service, and it's still even at seven ninety five. It's cheaper than any specialty restaurant you can find. And that's by the way, that's per order, not per item. So load them up. Feed them up, drop them off at camp, and then you go do dinner with your wife. That'd be what I would do, Tyler. Uh, number two, when it comes to excursions, we are required to take Royal Caribbean-sponsored option as long as kids are going on the excursion with us. For Cosmel, we book Playa Mia, and for Costa Maya, we have the beach break with the open bar booked. Have you done any of these excursions before? Do you have any recommendations other than those options? Great question. I have not. Uh, we originally were going to do uh, Playa Mia as well for Cosmel, but when we took our kids there, Tyler, as you probably already know, Royal Caribbean relaxed that rule. But this was back in June. And we were able to go to Paradise Beach instead. We we did actually have Playa Mia booked. The biggest problem with Playa Mia has always just been it's been oversold. Like I always thought, you know, in pre-COVID that there were just too many people there. Like they would sell to every single cruise line. So there aren't too many ships in Port Tyler. I think that's totally a fine option. For Costa Maya Beach Break with Open Bar, I mean, how bad could it be? I guess <laughs> that's the only way that I would say. I mean, it's, it's still a beach and alcohol. I haven't done I haven't done that one, but I would hope it wouldn't be too too bad. That being said, I've had some doozy of beach excursions in Jamaica. That was Jamaica. It's different than Costa Maya, so hopefully you'll have a better opportunity there, Teller. I'm sorry I can't be more helpful on that, but yeah, that's kind of how I see you there. So thank you, Tyler. And we have another Odyssey of the Seas question from Rob R. from Lavalette, New Jersey. Big fan of your blog, so much so that I'll be selling on Royal Caribbean's cruise uh, January 2022 on Odyssey of the Seas for eight nights. From listening to your podcast, I booked adjoining balcony cabins for myself and my wife and in one and two girls, age 9, 11, the other. Great idea with the double bathrooms. I have three questions for you as a new cruiser during the change of times. Number one, being that both my girls at time sailing will be exempt from being vaccinated, how does Adventure Ocean work with reservations? On our vacation day, do we have to make reservations for them for the entire cruise or are there limitations on how many per day? Well, Rob, <laughs> I did not plan it this way, but I answered your question earlier in this episode with how that works out. You'll book a certain amount of sessions on day one, and then later on in your cruise, you can book more sessions later on. Number two, I noticed that on Royal Caribbean's app, the Azumi Hibachi is for vaccinated only. Is this true? It is indeed. And if so, would we be able to book the entire table for just ourselves and no one else be around us the vac unvaccinated kids? No, it's just an it's just a vaccinated zone only. I understand what you're saying, and that would theoretically make sense. But no, it's just deemed a vaccinated zone, so your kids, you can't just book up the whole table. I, but it's an interesting idea, but no. And uh, lastly, since I have two cabins booked, how would it work with Royal Up if I wanted to upgrade to a loft suite? Do I have to put in a bid for those for two cabins? 
Sorry for the length, lengthy emails. Thanks so much for the assistance in the matter. I'm intrigued by Royal Caribbean so much that I booked a five-night grand suite on the new Wonder of the Seas. That's awesome, Rob. So for the cabins, yeah, if you have two connecting rooms or two rooms in general, I don't advocate doing Royal Up. You can't connect them. You can't tie them up. You can't get more connecting rooms. It doesn't work that way. So in fact, Rob, if you had gotten Royal Up and you'd gotten uh, a super-duper loft suite, which I highly doubt you would, but if you would, you would... Uh, you would still be on the hook for the other room. It doesn't work. They're, the Royal Caribbean doesn't look at it with like, oh, Rob booked two rooms here. No, it's just reservation A and reservation B. And it doesn't matter, Rob, that you booked both reservation A and B. It's irrelevant to them. So don't do that, essentially, is what it might. Or you're going to be on the hook for a room you're not going to use. Either way, I don't know which one's better for you, but just keep that in mind as you go ahead. But thank you, Rob, for the email. And our last email this week comes to us from Renee. You're right, time, Matt. With the return of cruising, has there been any Royal Caribbean sailings that were scheduled prior to the return of cruising? I'm booked up for August 2022 on Oasis of the Seas and almost hoping we'll to be at limited capacity, but still curious how Royal Caribbean would handle a sailing that was sold to full capacity. Great question. So the answer is yes. There were a number of sailings that were just old leftovers from pre-COVID and they ended up sailing. Uh, Renee, as an example, when I went on Mariner of the Seas for her first revenue sailing back in August, that was just, that was the first cruise on the calendar that hadn't been canceled. And that was essentially how they handled it. Um, so, and, and certainly for cruises going forward in 2022, especially almost every 2022 cruise is basically something that was scheduled back in who knows when 2020 or 2019. So, uh, yeah, the, that's pretty much the case in terms of limited capacity. Again, this could all change, but my crystal ball tells me as of today that I think by the end of the year, we'll be back to full capacity again, um, or very close to it. So, uh, if, if you're interested in a limited capacity sailing, you pretty much have to go on a cruise before November or maybe before Thanksgiving, let's put it that way. That'd be my recommendation because other than that, it's going to start quickly. I, I, I have a strong feeling that Royal Caribbean start ramping up towards the end of the year because their, their end game, their goal is to start off 2022 essentially as it was in terms of, you know, capacity and whatnot to help drive up revenue and all this other stuff. So, um, yeah, I think your cruise in August of next year, Renee is going to pretty much be, I would expect it to be normal capacity. Again, assuming things stay the same, they are hold true, you no know, major unforeseen circumstances. So thank you, Renee, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. You can always send me your emails by sending them to Matt at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. Matt M A T at Royal Caribbean Blog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.